And so we're going to pick up again where we were last night. This time I've got the right text. Luke 23, verse 44. Bible says in the NLT version, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Now let me just stop there for a second while I'm reading that. Could you imagine stepping out of your door and at 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was completely dark? Would that, would that do anything to you? I'm, I'm just, would that make you feel a certain kind of way? The supernatural darkness that falls across the earth, almost as if nature is mourning. The death of their creator, the suffering of Jesus, the darkness falls across, a supernatural darkness falls across the whole land, the midnight hour as soon as hand. That's from Thriller. That's not from here. Let me keep reading the Bible. (laughs) The light from the sun was gone. Y'all reading the same Bible I'm reading? This is not just cloudy, the cloudy day. This is the light from the sun disappeared. Somebody took the sun from the sky. I don't know if that's in the Bible, but it sounds good. And suddenly a, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. That curtain in the sanctuary was a curtain that only certain priests in the priestly order would cross. Actually, only one time of the year, it was a special curtain. And when that thing ripped, what it essentially meant was the sacrificial system that they had practiced for thousands of years was now finished. That the fulfillment of what they had been doing in the sanctuary had now come. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. I believe this curtain was about 13 feet tall. It was torn from the top from, to the bottom to symbolize that it was not torn by human hands. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And those, and with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God. Okay, wait a minute. This is a Roman official, an officer who had seen thousands of executions, who had overseen that. He, had, he could put on his resume, experienced executioner. He made sure they suffered, and he made sure they died. That was his job. And the Roman crucifixion was the most humiliating and the most violent execution in history. It was absolutely violent, humiliated. They were violated. They were all, very often, if not every time, crucified naked. Jesus didn't have that little towel around him. It was covered with blood. His back was ripped to shreds. Some of his organs were probably visible. That's how, that's how terrible. This was a criminal's death. He watched the execution and he worshiped God. 
There's something supernatural going on. The Bible says he watched it, he saw it, and he said, surely this man was innocent. Surely this man was innocent. And all the crowd, when all the crowd came that came to see uh, the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from, from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. One of the worst parts about this story was that those who were in the ones who accused Jesus, who were trying to get this, per, this execution started, they were trying to make sure that Jesus died before the sun went down so they could keep the Sabbath. They're like, can you just make sure he's dead so we can keep the Sabbath? So Jesus is, is, has died, and look what Hebrews says about it. I read this scripture last night, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Notice what his disciples and the women that were also disciples were with him were doing. They were watching. They were not publicly saying, we're his disciples. They had all betrayed him. They had all left him. They're at a distance watching. As horrifying, as disappointing as it was, they're at a distance watching. They're keeping their eyes on Jesus. Can I just tell you that know how, how much God may feel like you may feel God has disappointed you, how ugly the church may look, how bad things are. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Even if you feel personally responsible, even if you feel like I've left him down, I sinned so much, he'll never forgive me. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Something will happen when you keep your eyes on him. So he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. I love this description of Jesus, the champion. Not the Golden State champion. The Cavaliers champion, the LeBron way, right? I don't need to get a bunch of stars. No, I'm throwing a little shade on Golden State. All right, let me get back to, let me get back to my sermon. <laughs> Somebody said, wow, I'm a Celtics fan. Don't worry about it. Okay, so he, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Other translations said the author and finisher of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross and disregarded its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus endured the cross he put aside its shame. And I love what it says that he, because of the joy awaiting him. Because on the other side of this crucifixion, there was a joy that he was waiting for. He was waiting for it to be finished. He was waiting for it to be done. Let me put it this way. Jesus is a finisher. He's a finisher. Not only does he finish the job, finish the mission, finish the calling on his own life, but this text is saying he's going to finish the story of your life. 
He's authoring your life. He's the author and the finisher. He's the publisher of your life. He's the one who decides what's taken out and what's left in, what's included and what's not included. He is your divine publisher. He says, I am going to write that story from the beginning to the end. I'm a finisher. And if I write the story, I'm going to finish the story. Can I just tell you, you cannot outrun God. You're not fast enough. He will Khalil Mack you every single time. You can't outrun God. He's too fast. He's too strong. He's interested in your story. And the cross teaches us that Jesus is a finisher. I finished the job. It gets hard. Things are unexpected. But because of the joy Ahead of me, I'm going to finish the job. Look back at Luke uh, 23, verse 46. um, It should be on the screen here in a second. Luke 23, verse 46. The Bible says that Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. John, uh, another uh, gospel in John 19 would write it this way. He would write in verse 30. That Jesus, when he finished, when he was done, he had said, it is finished. Talking about the same moment that he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he released his spirit. I'm always interested in that because I wonder in, in his eyes, before he died, before he breathed his last breath, he's able to say, it is finished. Something was completed in that moment. Some work was checked off in that moment before he died. He said, it's finished. Isn't that something beautiful to be at the end of your life and to be able to check the boxes and say, you know what? It's finished. What God sent me to do in my life, it's done. I don't know about you. I get to the end of the week and I say, I am finished, right? And I just give up my spirit and fall asleep. I mean, at the end of the week, it's like, I didn't get anything done that I wanted to get done. At the end of the day, it's like, I thought I was going to do this, and I ended up doing that. There's something about purpose that Jesus is living with that he can say, at the end of my life, I'm done. I finished it. I've poured it out. I have nothing left I can give. I've accomplished my job. And this is how I want to encourage you, because sometimes it's easy to become discouraged and frustrated by the trouble that comes to us when we follow God. Can I just give some, some announcement to you? Some of you are new in your faith. Because you decided to follow God, you're going to have trouble. I wish somebody would have told me that. But because you decided to follow God, you're going to have trouble. The mission that God has put on your life that he's created you to live out is a mission of heaven that brings hope, that brings healing, that brings restoration to this world. And so the enemy of God's people, the enemy of this world, Satan himself, does not want you to accomplish your mission. But let me remind you and let me remind the devil that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. He's the one who decides what is in my book and what is not. 
So we get discouraged sometimes when we get run into trouble, right? Trying to do this marriage God's way. What do you mean I got to submit? What do you mean I have to lower my expectations that were created in the wrong place anyway? What do you mean I have to redo this parenting thing? What do you mean I have to change the way I spend my money? Yes, when you follow God, things have to change. Something's going to be different and trouble's going to come on you. But following God, it requires trust. And knowing whatever assignment God gives you, nobody can change it. Nobody can change the assignment God gives you. Here's another thing I want to teach you today. God teaches us. Jesus himself, really, through the story of the cross, teaches us how to handle opposition. Say opposition. How to handle opposition. Opposition is a very interesting word. I don't know about you. I've been following uh, the basketball uh, season a little bit, just kind of watching a little basketball. And it's funny. I, it reminds me of a couple of the sports I did play in high school. Not for very long, but I did play some sports in high school. Didn't make the basketball team. I don't know why. They were they were racist. No, they, I just it's too short for the basketball team. Um, I tried out for the wrestling team. I think I told you that story. I did two weeks of that until I was invited to a match and saw what the wrestlers had to wear. And then I quit the team. I, I just, I couldn't wear it. At the time, just wasn't there yet for me to wear, you know, a thong and, and, a, and a T-shirt. I just wasn't ready for that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wasn't ready for that. But one thing I did do uh, was track for a little bit. Ran a little track. It's interesting uh, because, you know, when you're, when you're in the hood, you race all the time. You know, that was kind of the thing. You know, before you fought people, you'd race people. I'm going to race you, right? I ain't got all my good shoes, man. That's why you beat me, stuff like that. You race people. So I did, I thought I'd do track and field, right? So I did track and field. It was interesting. I thought I was pretty fast, you know. I, was, I don't know why people thought I was short. I was kind of short. And I thought I was pretty fast. And then we went to one of the meets, and I met somebody faster than me. And I knew he was fast because I could see him. You know, you ever see somebody who runs track, but they're just fast. You can see all their muscles, right? They just, you can see a quarter if they had it in their pocket. I mean, they're just strong. Everything's just tight. They're just fast. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to beat this guy. And the coach was like, just, just race him. Just race. Do the best you can. So we get up there. Now, I faulted. Is that what it's called? I don't forgot. Faulted, right? I faulted on the first one, whatever that was. Because the gun kind of scared me because I had just moved from Minneapolis to, to Seattle. And the gun kind of, you know, it could have made me run faster, but it just kind of, I don't know. It's just, just a switch inside. The gun going off. Just I looked around, you know. Anyway, y'all just pray for me. I'm in counseling for this trauma. So the first time I missed, I heard the gun. So that kind of threw me off. So then next time, pow, hit the gun, and he's. He's gone, right? And I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up as fast as I can. I am running, and I'm running like, you know how you run so fast, you just don't feel your legs anymore. And this is only 100. This is only 100 meter. You know, it's not supposed to feel that. But I just felt nothing, and I ran, and he beat me. But my coach said, you ran faster than you've ever run before. Why is that? Because I had opposition. And sometimes... You need trouble 
to help you run faster. You need competition to help you run a little faster. I got some words for opposition. Let's do a little word study here. I like these, these different words here. What is opposition? How about this? Resistance. Anybody work out in here? Everybody's hands. Just, just lie. Just lie on that one. I do. Every day. It's, it's tight right now. If, you don't, if you're not deep at working out, you know, like, the, uh, you know, you're not one of them people. You can get the resistance bands. Y'all know what those are? And, and how does that work? It's simply the resistance that makes you stronger. Some of you got some resistance band people at your job that you work at, right? And you have to thank God for people like that because they keep you in prayer. Some of you parents have children, and they are there for your devotional life. Come on, somebody say amen. They keep you near the cross, right? <laughs> Resistance, that, that's good. Somebody pushing back. That's why some people don't really get that deep in church because they don't want to be pushed back. And a church will push you back a little. It'll resist a little. Uh-uh. No, that idea, you haven't thunk that through a little bit. Thunk. You said that word thunk. You haven't thought that through all the way. That, that idea, that perspective, eh, I don't think scripture, scripture needs to help you work that out. Resistance. Here's another word. Hostility. Anybody ever had some hostility in your life? Every time you turn around, somebody's hostile to you. It'll do something to you. And, and sometimes God you allows that to occur in your life so you can learn some patience, so you can learn to step back, so you can learn to find some strength, to help you think better, to help you get up earlier in the morning, to help you go to bed at night better, to help you eat better, some hostility. What about this word, antagonism? That's a tough word. That's somebody who is dead set to be against you. I hope you don't have to run into that. I've had to deal with that as a pastor. It is super, super ugly. Enmity, that's a good biblical word. Bible actually uses that word to describe the way we feel about God in our natural flesh. That we're actually enemies of God. Objection, disapproval. And maybe one of my favorite words is competition. I love the word competition. Competition. You need opposition in your life. And Jesus is showing us how to push through opposition, how to push through when it's hard. How do you think he felt knowing that he was going to embody a sinful nature that he has never, ever tasted? How do you think Jesus felt to be separated from his father for the first time? How do you think Jesus felt to have to endure the cross, not just the pain of it, but the disgust of it. Jesus said, I am going to endure this. I have great opposition. And he had you in his mind to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let this go until I finish the job. I am going to push through and know that this is my assignment and I've got to finish it. You need some opposition. I've told this before, but I'm going to say it again. I like this little funny parable and analogy. Seahawks just signed Russell Wilson to an extension. Just so you know, a part of this church is you need to be a Seahawks fan, at least in public. <laughs> signed an extension. 
to Russell Wilson. You know he was getting paid if you saw the post. He was in the bed. Talking about Seattle, we got a deal. And I, I thought about it. I, I love telling this, this little funny little parable for those who haven't heard it. I always make this claim at the be, you know, when training camp comes, beginning of the season. I say, if the Seahawks sign me, I will be the leading rusher in the NFL next year. How many of you believe that? Okay. No, not too many people. Let me work on that. I, believe, I love you, man. He believes me. I said, if the Seahawks sign me next year, you got to pay me that much money. I'll be the leading rusher in the NFL. I'll score at least 50 touchdowns. At least, right? I might even catch for 1,000 yards. I'll run at least 3,000 yards. Easy. I will be, I'll put everything on the line, the leading rusher in the NFL next year if the Seahawks sign me. Right? I, I, nobody wants to take me up on that, right? Okay. Here's the caveat to that. Nobody can play defense on me. That's the only thing. When the defense lines up, they just need to move out of my way. That's it. That's the only caveat. Now, how many of you believe that? How many believe I'd be the leading rusher if nobody plays defense on me? All I got to do is just run and score. Why do we think life is going to be like that? Why don't we think we're going to have opposition? Why don't we think anything's going to get in our way? Why do we expect that we say, hey, God, look, I came to church. I, I said the whole thing. I went to back, you know, I got baptized. I did all that. Isn't Satan supposed to move out of my way? Isn't, isn't life just supposed to be easy now? Aren't I supposed to be healthy? Like, what's, what's the problem? Why isn't everybody moving out of my way? God's like, your assignment is not to resist opposition, but to run to opposition. You don't understand the, the story that I'm writing about your life. You're on chapter two. Do you realize what happens in chapter six? Do you realize what happens on the end of this illness? Do you realize how strong you get on the other side of this divorce? Do you realize how powerful you are once this opposition is over? Don't you know I'm waiting to write the greatest Tiger Woods comeback history of all time when people says you couldn't come back? Don't you realize it's my will that this opposition come to you and that there's no greater opposition than that of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is never anything you'll have to overcome more more than that. And as long as Jesus is the one writing your story, no one can write over it. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12. Because what this does is it exposes our level of trust. Jesus had to trust his father. He had to go to a place he never has been before. He had to go down into the to death and there were some risks. Look, I don't think we'll ever really understand it. But you do realize that Jesus was taking the penalty of death. There were some risks on the other side of this. But Jesus says it was worth it. And back in, oh sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. That's what I, that's what I told you. Hebrews chapter 12, the same verse that we read. I think we'll look at verse 
to again. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Let me go, I'm sorry, back to verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that, so, that slows us down. See, God is trying to say, there's some things that would make you faster, but you, they're so heavy, you keep, letting, you keep hanging on to it. Like, you got to put this weight down. Like, how long are you going to be stuck on this? How long are you really not going to forgive them? How long are you going to just let this habit ruin your life? How long are you going to let him sit on the couch? How long are you going to let them keep talking back to you? How long are you going to continue to allow your temper to get in the way? Just lay that down. It's, it's tripping you up easy. It's not even opposition. You're running with your cleats tied together. Like, just untie your cleats. <laughs> right? Just... Just put some cleats on. This is easy stuff. This is stuff that's tripping you up. The devil's like, I didn't even do that. I, wasn't, I didn't even do that part yet. Easily besetting you. Easily setting you back. Let's put that down. And then it says, especially the sin that trips you up, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Opposition, it exposes our level of trust. And all Jesus is saying is, look, all I need is the opportunity for you to let me lead. Can you just let me be in charge? That's all I need. Look, we'll start slow. We'll start simple. But just give me the opportunity and let me lead you. Jesus went to the cross that day. And tomorrow we get to celebrate the story of him coming out of the grave. But Jesus went to the cross that day, trusting in his father. And let me explain to you, Jesus was dead. Like really dead. He's not fake dead. He's not somewhere, somewhere floating around, looking at his body like, oh, that was cool. Let me just wake this out. He suffered the very thing that is antithetical to his being. He inhabited death, and he's a life giver. He experienced, the Bible said, the second death that we should experience. This wasn't just a falling asleep. This was the eternal separation from God and humanity. That's what he experienced. And that's the very life that he's trying to give us to keep us from being eternally separated from God. And let me tell you, that's going to be a sorrowful and sad day when judgment comes and there are people that will not be connected with the Father. He will weep for them. He's not going to say that's what they get. He's going to weep. And God weeped for his son. And the angels in heaven were hurting to see the son of God in the grave. The enemy was rejoicing. But Jesus, what I love about him, he says it's finished. He puts his pen in his book and he closes it. 
He says, I'll be back. I'm going to finish the rest of this story. Because we serve Jesus, who when it's all said and done, the angel comes and says, son, your father, Jesus, your father is requesting you. And Jesus gets up from the grave. And when he gets up from the grave, he gets up as a champion. He gets up as the conquering king. He says, death can't beat me. Sin can't beat me. I'm the undisputed champion of the universe. And now I get to give life to all those who want it. So I just want to pray for you this morning. Maybe some of you today just need to realize that God is writing your story. Just let it go to say, you know what? This chapter in my life does not look good. I have a lot of opposition. I've got some things in my life right now that don't make sense. And God is saying, it's cool. Just let me lead you. Let me show you how strong you are in me. Because when you are weak, I am made strong. I want to pray for someone today. I just want you to ask you, bow your heads, close your eyes. There might be someone here today. It is just saying, Jesus, I, I know that he's talking about me. I know that I've wanted to give up. I know that I've not wanted to put my trust in you because of the circumstances that are in front of you. I'm afraid of opposition. I'm afraid of resistance. I'm afraid of something different that's requiring me to change. Today I see something. I see something in this invitation to, for you to lead my life. Because there's an enemy out there. He doesn't want anyone to live. He doesn't want anyone to be successful. He wants us all to suffer. But we serve a victor. We serve a champion. And that champion wants to be the leader of our life. If that's just you, if you have a decision, a next step that you're going to make, maybe you're saying, I'm just accepting Jesus today. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I need to get baptized. I need to do that. Maybe you're saying, I need to be involved on a team. I need to start and get involved in a Bible study. Something's got to change for me today. Maybe that's you. I just want you to lift your hands in the air. Nobody's watching. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand too. Hands are going up everywhere. God bless. I see your hand. I see your hand. Oh, man. Praise God. I see your hand too. I see your hand. Maybe just a few more. I see them going up. They're going up all over the place, church. Continue to pray. I see your hand in the back. Oh, God bless you. I see your hand. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for the hands that are lifted in surrender. We're saying we need you to be the leader of our life. We need you to be in charge. We confess today that we've tried to do it our way and it doesn't work. And I pray in a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of power for all of those who are surrendering their life to you today. Whatever their next step is, I pray today that they will leave today knowing that you are leading them. And we will celebrate the fact that because you are a champion, we are never defeated. Because you've defeated death, we will always have life. And nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you. And we're going to go crazy as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God the praise for all the next steps.